morning, everybody, and those on Christian coffee time. Nice to see you. Nice to be nice to see you. If you can see us here, you can see me. But um, thanks for uh, joining us. We're in uh, the book of uh, Mark. I think I said Matthew earlier, but we're in Mark, uh, chapter seven. We're going to try and finish up chapter seven today. There's just one section left here. And let's have a, uh, we're up to verse 31. Verse 31 to 37 is a section for us to look at. And let's have a word of prayer, first of all. Uh, Father in heaven, we just thank you now for this opportunity and this time to look into the Bible, which is the word of God, and that you, uh, Lord, would guide us and help us understand these things, Lord, and make applications to our hearts. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your grace and your goodness, and we pray you be honored and glorified in this now, and we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you have some writing material so you write down any uh, references to other portions that we look at, things like that. Um, <clears throat> let's just carry on. We've been going uh, through the Gospels chronologically. We're in the book of Mark. It's a fascinating study. Uh, uh, I, I'm tremendously blessed myself by doing that, looking at the, the other, uh, um, uh, other Gospels and how you see the different bits of information in there that all fits together and such. And, we come up to this part right here in uh, Mark chapter 7, and we have here the Lord Jesus dealing with one individual, which is really interesting. That, that by itself could really should get our attention, because the parallel passage over in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 29 to 31, says that there was a multitudes, I think he uses the word great, multitudes. There was tons of people, and many were brought to Jesus for healings and such. But in Mark, this is a, 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 this parallel passage we have with those two. Here in Mark, he has just one individual, so there's got to be some uh, very specific things that the Lord wants to show us from this one individual. Okay? He took all, of the, all the multitudes, and he's dealing with one person here. And we see that when we look at and study it um, chronologically as we're doing, and you compare the parallel passages, things that take place at the same time. Um, it's just fascinating stuff. Okay, let's have a look at this. Verse 31 and again, you see the words here, the words that the Lord uses, and again. It, it shows us that the Lord Jesus is always on the move, always going, always doing. He's always going from here to there. He was always doing that, that kind of thing. Uh, I was thinking about uh, some of these things like that earlier. When Jesus would go to the cross, he would be uh, uh, refused by so many and such, you know. But here he's doing all these miracles and such. The miracles were to show who he was. And the Bible tells us that in John, uh, is it 20 or 21, I forget, uh, tells us that, that all these things that Jesus did were to show that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the way to heaven, he's salvation, okay? That's why he did these things. And uh, But he's always on the move doing all these things and he's headed to the cross. This is where he's ultimately going to go, isn't he? But he says, and again. You see the words there? We could just stop right there and just think about that again and again and again. Another portion of Scripture talks about the Lord Jesus and it says that as was his custom, he would do things on a regular basis, the same things. Sometimes we get a little bit bored with the same things. That's our old nature. We should never get bored with the things of God. We should never get bored with reading our Bible or praying and going to church or witnessing or fellowship or whatever else you put in there. We should never get bored with that. We do. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and, Sidon, uh, Tyre and Sidon. So the Lord Jesus had left um, the area around Capernaum and went um, on a northwestern uh, uh, 
traveling over to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea to Tyre and Sidon, which are right on the coast of the Mediterranean. And now he's going to leave there and go around, I believe, over the top. I cannot uh, um, prove that, although the other day or last week or something I was looking at, and I forget where it was, so this won't help you really because I can't remember where it was, but I remember looking up the words and it, the word of him going to this place had the idea of compassing or encircling, or going around, okay? and I think that's what it was referring to. I'll try and find that and bring it to you later. Around to the bottom of the Capitalist border goes right up to the Galilee. I had a gap there. I wasn't sure if it did or not, but it does. It goes right up to it. So he's going to be down at the bottom on the, um, the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's headed, okay? Departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. So he's the Lord's traveling and just traveling all the time, all the time, all the time. And then we read in verse 32, and they, who is they? We have them mentioned in, uh, later on, in, uh, and they, they, this is the multitude, the people that were there, the people that were following him, it wasn't, wasn't the disciples, it was the people that were coming uh, to see the Lord Jesus. There was crowds, uh, multitudes of uh, uh, crowds and people coming to see him. And over in Matthew, let me just read a couple verses here in Matthew. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. Now this is the parallel passage of this bit in Mark over in Matthew. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. But here in Mark, as I said, it focuses on one individual. So we're going to look at a few things here this morning, and, and I suppose there's other things, maybe deeper things that we're not going to touch on that the Lord would have us here. And you can take that as a study for yourself and say, what do you see? What do you think the Lord was uh, uh, trying to tell us with this one individual right here? But verse 32, and they bring unto him, unto Jesus, they, the people from the multitudes and such, some people come out and they're bringing this one individual and we're going to focus on that one. See that word, that one right there? And they bring unto him one. Now we should be encouraged about this, that one individual, that the Lord Jesus is going to spend time with him and he's going to help him. And that compassion of God and the mercy of God upon that one individual, the same as it is upon you or me or anybody else that will trust in Jesus Christ. God is concerned and he's not willing that any should perish, is he? Amen. And God cares for each and every one of us. We have, uh, uh, Mike and I were talking earlier, he was talking about a bird outside his window and that. And the Lord does that kind of thing. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I get feeling kind of things pressing in and the Lord will be like, uh, uh, Lord, I'm all by myself here, Lord. And then a bird will come and sit on the, uh, the tree just outside the window there. And it just cheer you right up. Lord, what does the Lord say about sparrows, you know? He knows them. He knows everything about them. He's at the deathbed of every sparrow. And ye are of much more, uh, worth much more than a sparrow. The Lord is interested and He cares about that one. And you and I are that one. You've got something right now that needs attending to. He cares about it. Take it to Him. You're that one. And they bring unto Him one that was deaf. Here's a guy that was deaf. 
That'd be an awful thing to be able not to be able to hear. Mm. As we get older, our hearing goes a bit. My wife, don't tell her this. <laughs> she gets uh, sometimes. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it is. I always have to say, "Excuse me, what was that again?" And then she'll say it a little louder. And sometimes it's, "Do you don't listen to me?" <laughs> Does anybody else have that problem? Okay, thank you for those hands. All right, well, good. Uh, getting them, but there's nothing to laugh about being deaf. This is deaf completely. And he had an impediment in his speech. You ever hear people that try to talk that are deaf? They don't talk very well because they can't hear themselves, I guess. But there's this one that, that uh, um, he can't hear. He's got an impediment in his speech. And they, the ones that brought him to Jesus, they beseech him, beseech Jesus, to put his hand upon him. I mean, just stop and think about that for a minute. They're beseeching the Lord Jesus that he would put his hands upon them. And I was thinking this. They were telling him how to go about healing him. Huh? They were telling him how. And how many times through the Bible we hear about uh, uh, somebody telling the Lord Jesus to do something. The devil says, turn these stones into bread. When Jesus was being uh, accosted, beaten up by the, the Roman soldiers, they said, prophesy unto us, who is it that struck thee? Mm -hmm. He was on the cross, the crowd said, come down from that cross if thou be the Christ. People are always telling him what to do. But God does things his way. Right. Could you imagine if God answered our prayers um, according to what we want? Lord, I have this problem, and he, I think this is how you should fix it. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be better to say, Lord, would you fix it? Yeah. I think he probably in some instances knows a little better than we do, eh? Yeah. Huh? But wouldn't it be better to say, here it is. What are you going to do? But I just thought that was interesting. Just looking at it. Maybe that's not what that means there, but we see something else going on here. Let's look at it. Uh, he was told, uh, they tell him, do this. He's not going to do that, but he's going to do something entirely different that we've never heard of here. And verse 33, and he took him aside. Okay? He took him aside from the multitude. Now, remember, back in Matthew, it says that they brought to him all, you know, the lame and all these people that were many, many. And he just healed them right there. Okay? You have to get that picture in your head because... Uh, it refers to that every once in a while. But he takes this one individual. They said, just lay your hand on him. He takes him aside. Okay? You get the picture in your head. Now, they've moved away from the crowd. They're over there. But yet, they can still see that. Something, something, they can still see what's going on. He took him aside. And he put his finger into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. He spit probably on his hand or finger. Okay? I don't know. It wasn't there. But probably that. These are odd things. Here. Tongue out there. But I want you to notice something. The man was not healed until Jesus spoke a word. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, these things didn't heal him, the, the, the fingers in the ear and that. It was the word of God that was spoken at that time. Amen. Maybe he did that just for the crowds. You just, just lay your hand, just do something like that. We know as last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, where Isaiah said that, um, it was about uh, um, 
about the Lord, um, the deaf would hear and the dumb would sing. And Lord Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. He's fulfilling that. So he does that particular thing. And I've written down in my Bible here five things that Jesus did right there as he had this individual. First, the one, he put his fingers into his ears. And then he spit and touched his tongue. And verse 34, and looking up to heaven. So picture it now. The Lord Jesus done that, that, and he touched him. And he looks up to heaven. Always, always, always to look up to heaven. He takes the bread and breaks it and looks up to heaven. His focus was to the Father, wasn't it? Always to the Father, always to the Father, always, always to heaven and heaven. And also to show us, as an example for us, always look there, always look to heaven. We have a difficulty or a problem or something needs dealing with or whatever. Or you're having a good time. We have one of those once in a while, eh? Look up to heaven. Thank you, Lord. But always looking to heaven. Always looking to heaven. Reminds me of, uh, I, I like, Willie Mullen, those old, old uh, sermons. I got an old box full of those somewhere. He was in, came over to Canada from Ireland and was speaking somewhere. <clears throat> the, uh, he had to get on a train and go somewhere, and the train was late and it wasn't coming, and this, all this. And, and, and he just, right there in the queue, he just stops, he stands back, and he looks up to him and says, Father, you know all about this. He says, What do you want me to do? Just looking up to heaven, right in the midst of everybody there, mm -hmm. talking to the Lord looking up to heaven. We should get in the habit of that. If we're not, we better be. But that's what the Christian does. Amen? Right. Look up to heaven always. Yes. And then he sighed, and he saith unto him, Ephatha. I don't know how to pronounce that. It is, be opened. And we looked at that last week. That word is Aramaic. Okay? But I want to back up here and look at that word sighed. This is a fascinating word right here. And I think we can get a little bit out of this one. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Now, we read that sometimes with the Lord's side and things like that. And I often get the idea that is he kind of, um, he's kind of getting kind of annoyed with the multitude or the people, the way they're doing things and demanding. And do you get that idea sometimes when you read that? I think that's wrong. The Lord doesn't get upset with people like that, does he? He never stops. He's, he's of infinite patience with us. Wouldn't you think he's of infinite patience with us? Amen. Aren't you glad for the patience of Amen. God and the mercy of God? Amen. Well, let's look at this word, and it's important. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we'll take that word and uh, look at it. That word side right there is the uh, uh, exact same word that we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, which says, We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That word uttered simply means expressed. Groanings which cannot be uttered. It's exactly the same word. So the Lord Jesus was groaning. And the definition of this word side and the groaning is, that, um, is, is an inward feeling of sorrow or grief. Now what did Jesus have to be grieved over? He was, I believe, and I think this is what he wants us to see here, he's groaning for this individual that needs to be healed. You think? Mm -hmm. We go and we stop and we think about the Holy Spirit. Okay? It says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray about, and we don't know how to pray. 
But the Spirit of God with these groanings, remember, it's an inward feeling of sorrow or grief. It's like he expresses deep emotion on our behalf. Because we don't know how to pray as we should. The Bible tells us that the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much, right? James. And that fervent, that's that, that idea of boiling over. We also have in Psalm 62 and verse 8, it says this, to pour out your heart before God. It says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. You stop and you think about this, he says. Pour out your heart. Could it be that oftentimes, maybe one of the problems today is that maybe there's not that much prayer goes up anyways in this day and age that we live in. Maybe our prayers go up like just like we're reading a list or something, you know. Uh, yeah, Lord, I need this done today. Uh, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> you need to go on your way. The idea here is we see the Lord Jesus and we see the Spirit of God groaning with this grief and sorrow for this situation that we have that needs attending to. Is that fair to say? Because that's what the word means. I don't know about you, but I look at it this way, I think, wow, this is really something. Does he ever care for us? He's putting in all the groanings and all those things that we should be doing too. And when we pray, that's why he says, get yourself into your closet alone from away from people and such and you spend time with the Lord. One fellow said, we don't ever talk about hell without a tear in our eye. Mm -hmm. And there should be tears for those that are uh, unsaved, those family members and such that we're trying to reach. We should be weeping. We should be groaning in our souls for them. These kinds of things, these kinds of prayers get up to the head of the queue, I think. The Bible showing us here. It's showing us something right here. Something very important and very deep. Jesus Christ was groaning with that feeling of sorrow and grief. And the Spirit of God does every time we pray. and takes our prayers and puts them together and presents them. Isn't that something? I don't know about you, but I'm just dumbfounded with that. And encouraged to spend more time in prayer and to... Just let it all pour, pour out to God. Mm. Pour out your heart. God wants to hear from us. He wants to, he wants to hear us. Just tell Him what's on your heart. Tell Him what it feels like. Tell Him the problem. He already knows, but He wants us to come to Him like that. That kind of thing. Could you imagine there's a, a lineup at a, 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 at a show or something or getting into whatever, and, uh, uh, and this other, some, somebody comes along and goes right to the front. <laughs> ahead of everybody else. It doesn't tell us that, but in my mind I see that. It's not that God um, leaves off the others, but he does tell us that this is this kind of praying avails much. When Daniel was praying in chapter 9, he's praying about the sins of Israel and all the things and the visions that he's had and such, and he's just pouring out his heart and uh, the, the uh, messenger comes. Was it Gabriel? Does it say that? I don't think it does. Anyways, the messenger comes, and, and uh, um, he had fasted for three weeks, and it says, From the first day that thou didst um, chastise thyself, thou hast heard, and I am come for thy prayer. From the first, and he says, I forget exactly how it goes, but the angel says, From the first, when it was first commanded, See, the angel 
is commanded by God to go and visit Daniel and, and help him with this and explain to him. Our prayers, the Spirit of God helps us, and they come up before God, and He designates those things to angels to come down here and answer our prayers. We're getting off the topic here a bit, but we're not. We're, the, the, the point is, there's so much here, there's so much in the Word of God that we just scratch the surface sometimes. And in our prayings, we just scratch the surface sometimes. We just scratch the surface. We need to get ourselves before God and forget about the time, forget about everything else, and just get down to praying and get yourself in that. We're not always um, sorrowful, but there's a lot of things around about to be sorrowful about, isn't there? Mm -hmm. The state of our country, the condition of people around about us, those that don't know the Lord Jesus, those that are away from Him, and on and on it goes, illnesses and everything else. You just think about that. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. He groaned for that individual, for that one right there, that one individual. And he does that for every one of us. And he saith unto him, he says right to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened as soon as he said the words. Mm -hmm. You see, I got a note here. I wrote something down. Jesus expressed pity for the miseries of human life. Verse 35, And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. I have a book somewhere. It's called Words Are Important. It's about communication and miscommunication and such. Could you imagine not being able to communicate? And we have miscommunications with people all the time, and sometimes we are not understood and things like that. But to be able to speak, and God communicates to us with words too, doesn't He? The Word of God. In fact, we have right here in this, since the Garden of Eden, it's been a battle of words. It's the devil's words over God's words, amen? Yep. Which one are you going to listen to? That's what happened to Adam and Eve. It was about words. I'm getting off topic again. Let's go to verse 36. Now watch this. And he charged them. That word charged means he, a command. Could you imagine the Lord, God Almighty, Jesus Christ says and gives you a command. Just picture this. Okay, You're there and he commands you. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. It says that twice, that he charged them. Twice in that verse right there. He charged them. He gave that command. And he charged them that they should tell no man. Now, you have to remember that the more he charged them, well, who is he talking about here? Mark is acknowledging the multitude that's there and the, and the great many people that were coming to be healed. Every time he healed somebody, he told them, now, don't say anything. Keep it to yourself. And the next guy, on and on and on. And he said to this one too, keep it to yourself. But the more he did, the more they go and tell people. So I wondered about this. We have uh, the Lord Jesus, God manifests in the flesh. And he says, this is what I want you to do. 
don't say anything. But they go and they tell him. And he charges them and tells them more. And they go and tell all the more. Why do people do that? Why do we do the opposite of what is required? Why do we do that? Well, you know why? Is we have an old nature still, eh? Some, some people think that you become, you become absolutely holy and there's no sin and all that stuff. Well, that's not quite right because our bodies have not changed and they will only be changed when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and he calls and gathers us out of here. Amen? Then we'll be changed and we'll have a new body. Okay, our body is not redeemed. It's the same one. Sin flows through your blood. There it is. And you know, and I know, we've got an old nature. Okay? And the Bible tells us about that. In Matthew 26, 41, it says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Galatians 5, 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, against the spirit of God, that is, I think, and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And the Apostle Paul tells us, and the Spirit of God, through using the Apostle Paul, tells us some things about our, ourselves in the book of Romans. He says, For that which I do I allow not, for what I would do that I do not, but what I hate that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, and how to perform that which is good I find not. Aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit? Amen. That's one of the reasons we're given the Holy Spirit. To combat this here. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin." Just acknowledging that thing that we all know. And a person that's unsaved doesn't have that conflict because they've got nothing to, to work against the old nature. The old nature that we have, which came from the curse way back in the Garden of Eden, is a devilish thing, is rebellion towards God. Okay? It's just like uh, people have been imparted like a, 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 an attitude, a devilish attitude is what it is. We still have that. But when we're saved, the Spirit of God can come in and we're cleansed with the blood of Christ that the Spirit of God can come in and dwell right inside of us and He can overrule and overpower that thing if you listen to Him. And if you listen to your old nature, you're going to go that way. The thing's always there. Why do I have these thoughts come into my head? The Bible says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and have uh, uh, and having you know, ready, readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It means there's a battle going on. When you get saved, you've got that battle. I remember one fellow saying, it's like two people are in here. It's, it's, it's your old nature just battling back and forth. But remember the Spirit of God. Remember about Him groaning. 
these, these, uh, uh, um, this, the way he brings our prayers and such, and the power of God, and he's there. Let him uh, override these things. Don't entertain the thoughts and the attitudes and such. Cast down the imaginations. Jesus commands them two times. And I thought it was kind of interesting here. And he says right there um, at the last, at the second, second time he charged them. And we have the word, so much the more, a great deal. They published it. So much the more. Mm. Hey, where did we hear that before? Hey, that's over in uh, Hebrews. Um, uh, that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And as the end draws near, the uh, Lord tells us we're to, we're to assemble so much the more. Isn't that interesting? He says, do that now. And he uses those words, the same words. And we see around about us how many churches shut down over the past couple of years and such. How many times the Christians turned away. These are the times we should be gathering more and more and more. That's what he says. It's a command he gives. Hebrews 10.25 to God's people. Gather together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? You see what's happening in society? You see what's happening politically and so on and so forth? More and more and more. I just find that was interesting. And yet we do the opposite. We have this old nature. Perhaps there's one of our biggest problems right there is that we may not be allowing the Spirit of God to have the right place in our lives that He should have, that we listen to our old nature more than we should and leads us into worldliness and so on and so forth, and we don't attend to the things of God. Anyways, let's try and finish this up here. And He charged them that they should tell no man, but the more He charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. They proclaimed it everywhere. And were beyond measure astonished. They were beyond measure exceedingly. That word astonished there, it's got the idea of, there's a word in there, the, the root word is to strike. They were, it's like somebody's to be stricken in your mind. I mean, you see something, you're so astonished, it's like you get a slap on the side of the head kind of thing, and in effect, in your mind, you just so, look at this. Saying, he hath done all things well, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And over in Matthew at the end there, what did it say about the multitudes? Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. There's a point right there, eh? To the glory of God. That's the whole thing right there. Anyways, our time's gone. There's a few things for us to look at. Read through that and ponder the ponder what God's given to us here. He takes those multitudes and he pulls one individual out and he's dealing with him. You go read through that and you ponder it and you pray over it and see what you come up with. Maybe, maybe there'll be some other things that you see. Some blessings. But some things for us. Some things for us. How uh, that one... We can think of ourselves as just a one individual. God cares for individuals. He didn't say just a group. Individuals. He cares and He loves us. How the Lord Jesus says He sighed. He groaned. The Spirit of God groans with our prayers and such. Just amazing, amazing things. Jesus sticking His fingers into the ear of the guy. That's His way. That's the way God does things. 
God does things different than we do. Amen? Amen. It's better to let Him do it. And pour out your heart before God. There's another big thing we, we, we take away from this. You go to prayer, you take and you pour out your heart to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just want to, we'd like to thank you, Lord, for your word here. We thank you for the Bible, which is the word of God. And we thank you for yourself, Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit now. We just thank you for your grace upon us. Lord, we, we probably won't on this side understand the amount of grace and the, the extent of the uh, how you go about looking after us, Lord, and how much you love us and care for us. And Lord, undoubtedly, sometimes we feel alone, we feel pressed down and such. We pray, Lord, that we would take that admonition to pour out our hearts before you. We pray we would do that, Lord, and look to you and be encouraged. But Lord, we just thank you for your grace now, and we thank you for this time to look into the Bible, and we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, folks, for joining us, and we'll see you another time, okay? Thank you. Bye now.